It's Markets Uncut podcast, your weekly insights into the topics and issues that we have been discussing here at Quilt Achieve It. Remember, so you don't miss future episodes, be sure to hit the follow button on whichever streaming platform you are listening on or by following hashtag QC Weekly Comment on LinkedIn. I'm Vanessa Eve, Investment Manager based out of our Leeds office, and this week I'm delighted to be joined by regular commentator and Head of Fixed Interest Richard Carter, as well as Ben Barringer, Research Analyst covering technology, media and telecoms. Gentlemen, welcome to you both. Now, last week saw a number of economic data points with UK inflation falling 6.7% from 6.8% in July, rather than increasing as many had been expecting. Closely watched core inflation, which excludes things like food, alcohol and energy prices, also dropped from 6.9% in July to 6.2% in August. Again, a far larger move than many had been anticipating. Over the pond in the US, the Federal Reserve maintained its benchmark interest rate at 5.5%, which is still a 22-year high, with the Fed Chair Jay Powell stating that moderate rate cuts are expected in 2024 and 2025. Even the Bank of England kept interest rates on hold at 5.25%, taking stock of the rates of inflation falling. So all of these things has given us quite a a lot to think about. And uh, Richard, things are certainly moving at a fast pace with the economic data that we saw out last week. Now, what implications do you see for bonds, particularly U.S. Treasuries and U.K. gilts in response to this latest economic data? Yeah, good question, Vanessa. I mean, certainly those uh, U.K. inflation numbers, we've got got to welcome those because, um, you know, UK had been a bit of an out, outlier for a few months with very, very sort of high levels of inflation. Uh, and now it does look like it's heading in the right direction and coming down uh, pretty quickly. So hope, let's hope that continues to be the case. Um, I mean, it's I'd say there's a little bit of a disconnect between what we're seeing in UK and Europe, though, and what we're seeing in the US. So the US economy, um, although the Fed didn't raise rates last week, the, UK, the US economy is pretty uh, resilient at the moment. We're not seeing any sort of you know, major signs of a, a recession uh, on the cards. But then the UK and Europe, you are um, seeing some slightly weaker data. So gilts actually um, done, have done all right in the last couple of weeks. You know, yields are starting to come down because um, it looks like the Bank of England may be done raising interest rates. But uh, US Treasury is not so much because of, as I say, this resilience in the US economy. But I think, um, so yeah, a bit of a disconnect. But I think big picture is central banks are nearly there, hopefully in terms of raising rates and, and for bonds, that should be that should be good news. And I think it's interesting you say that there is this resilience and also disconnect, because at the beginning of this year, there was a lot of talk about rates being cut towards uh, the end of 2023. However, off the back of a lot of this data and resilience, the rhetoric has changed quite dramatically during the course of this year, um, with many economic commentators suggesting that rates may stay higher for longer. Um, What do you believe to be the broader implications for investments should this actually be the case well i i guess um you know it, it's true i mean we've spent the last sort of probably 12 months worrying at recession sort of three months around the corner and it, and it never arrives and uh you know gloomy forecasts from economists just don't seem to come to pass and um you know the fact that um 
you know, rate cuts haven't happened and the central banks have sort of, it, it might not be hiking rates, but they're certainly more likely to hike than cut. Um, I mean, partly, you know, that that's good news because economies are more, have been more resilient than expected. Um, although we've also got to say that, um, you, know, abs- you know, excluding the UK, UK numbers on inflation last week, there has been some signs of quite sticky inflation. So the fact that rate cuts haven't been delivered um, isn't, you know, is is good uh, is is uh, you know is partly as I say partly down to that uh, that sticky inflation which maybe for investments is not so good, um, but I think I think going forward uh, what will matter really is is whether we do start to see a slowdown in growth and any any signs that a recession is appearing because as long as we've got this sort of soft landing narrative going on in the states um, even if the Federal Reserve's on hold for some time and that's certainly good news. Um, uh, for investments, because uh, you know, soft landing means no great recession, uh, and, and you know we can carry on. Um, you know, the economy can carry on doing pretty well. Um, for bonds, it's slightly different. I mean, bonds, you know, for bonds to do well and to recover some of the losses they saw over the last eighteen months, uh, we do kind of need to see rate cuts at some stage. But as I say, with the data being quite resilient, that looks to be some way off for now. So quite a few moving parts involved in this, but actually some positive signs that actually we might be avoiding recession. Um, And I think it's on that basis that it's actually right to bring in Ben, because interest rates remaining higher for longer could actually be a bit problematic for higher growth stocks in the weeks and months ahead. Now, why is this the case? And do you see any stocks that may be more vulnerable than others? Hey, morning, Vanessa. Thanks very much. Uh, yeah, look, it, it's really important to think about interest rates in, in when looking at tech companies. Um, actually, the three things I really focus on are fundamentals, relative growth, so growth of tech versus other sectors, and then, of course, interest rates, which is a discounting mechanism. And so when you've got long duration assets, as many tech companies are, you know, higher rates do mean uh, lower valuations. Uh, look, and we and we saw this in 2022. Um, fundamentals deteriorated. There were other areas of growth that were delivering faster, faster growth, like uh, like energy uh, and rates were rising. So that wasn't very good. Uh, in the first half of 2023, though, you know, the narrative has been much better. The uh, fundamentals have been good. There hasn't been much growth from other sectors and there's been this narrative that rates are peaking and so people are looking through that um as we sit here today you know fundamentals for tech and going into this this final quarter fundamentals for tech are, are a bit mixed right so you've got pcs and smartphones which have been bad but but are bottoming and improving you've got auto and industrial uh, semiconductors which are have been good but are starting to roll over and then you've got data center which is a long-term sort of growth area particularly driven by by cloud and of course AI. Um, and, and that's been boosted significantly. But, you know, still um, AI and particularly Gen AI is a, still a fairly uncertain total addressable market, right? So the, the size of the opportunity um, isn't uh, isn't completely defined yet. So it's super important to be uh, selectively positioned. In terms of that relative growth, as we, as we move into this final quarter, you know, I'm a little concerned about the move up in the oil price and whether that leads to a change in market leadership around, around uh, oil oil companies but you know um i still think there are plenty of good opportunities in terms of you know interest rates and back to your back to your question yeah higher for longer is, is not that great because short-term rates only impact the, the value of the of tech companies you know 
a, a modest amount. But what we're really interested in is what is the sort of terminal rate uh, of, of interest rates. So, yeah, that is that is a concern for us. Now, in terms of your question, who's the most exposed? It's really the very high growth companies which have the longest durations. And that's not really an area that we play in. We try and avoid very cheap companies in tech because largely they're being disruptive. And even though they look cheap on earnings, those earnings are often going down um, and continue to be revised out because the companies are being disrupted. And the very high growth and often non unprofitable companies uh, we don't invest in because it's a, um, a you know, it's a much higher risk um, uh, area of the market. And so we're still very content at buying really high quality companies at what we think are good valuations. I think it goes back to the old adage, we need to look under the hood and have a, a, a gander at the underlying fundamentals before taking the plunge. And certainly the, the bright new frontier definitely seems to be AI at the moment. Um, and I suppose just uh, taking a, a broad look at uh, at one particular company that has come to the market, uh, it is interesting to see that shares in SoftBank bank-backed chip designer Arm actually fell after their listing price uh, on Thursday of last week. Um, there was obviously a spectacular rally initially. Um, how far do you feel this is in response to potentially the central bank rhetoric around interest rates staying higher for longer? Or do you think that this is a bit more specific to the company in question? Yeah, look, I think interest rates are definitely a factor, but I would always point to the, to the, the fact that Arm and SoftBank wanted this to be a successful IPO. So let's just take a step back. Um, Arm is a business we've known for many, many years, gosh, almost 24 years now. Um, and it's a very unique company. It's basically doesn't make any chips, but its architecture, the ARM architecture, uh, is the global standard for low power, um, often mobile devices. And so since 1999, they've grown very, very strongly, um, taking uh, share from companies like Intel, who were dominant in processors, but really dominating the mobile area because of that low power um, efficiency uh, and efficiency uh, of the of the processors. In fact, since they have been uh, since they started, uh, two hundred and fifty billion chips that are based on ARM have been produced. And last year, 30 billion were produced. So this is a company, if you haven't heard of it, you've definitely got some of their products in your smartphone or in your television or in your car and so on and so forth. It's a hugely prolific business. And it's a very interesting business model because it it you pay an upfront license to use the architecture and then ARM gets paid on a royalty rate based on the uh, about one to four percent of the chip price uh, when it's produced. So anyway, um, we've known the business. We, we we knew it when it was listed on the London market. We were you know a little annoyed when it was taken private by SoftBank in 2016 because we lost a fantastic company in uh, in the UK. Um, they have been investing under private ownership in the cloud and in AI and also particularly in automotive to try and diversify away from that smartphone dominance that they've got that's really influenced uh, their uh, their revenues over the, over the years. Then you may recall a couple of years ago, um, uh, NVIDIA tried to buy ARM, uh, which was blocked. And I'm not surprised it was blocked because of the unique status and the sort of Switzerland status of ARM and, and its independence. Um, it being owned by a another chip maker, I think, would be uh, would have 
not been good for the chip industry and probably not been good for ARM either. So we had this very much anticipated IPO, the largest in a couple of years and a, you know, a real test of, of market sentiment. Um, Masayoshi-san, who's the head of SoftBank, uh, was looking for a valuation initially at around 70 billion. Now, the sentiment's not been not been that great. And so that's got uh, edged back down to around the 40 to 50 billion uh, market. But there was quite a lot of interest in, in the shares, um, not only from, from institutions, uh, but also from some strategic investors. So the great and the good uh, of uh, the uh, semiconductor industry. So Intel, AMD, Apple, Google, NVIDIA, uh, Samsung, TSMC, uh, we're all going to take a strategic stake. That so that demand plus the relatively limited free float, uh, only 10% of the shares that SoftBank owns were uh, have been placed on the market, uh, means that SoftBank needed it to be a success to help their own valuation, um, but also there was a bit of a squeeze up. And so I'm not surprised that, that the, the company priced at around 52 billion went all the way up about 25, 30, almost 30% uh, in the days after the IPO, but has now come back to a much more sensible level, pretty much back to where we where we started. And so for us, it's a great business, a unique asset. Um, it's got a um, very good uh, business model in terms of recurring revenues, but the growth, um, you know, they do have to execute on a number of different levers and vectors in order to, to really deliver better growth and better profitability. In fact, this year, it's only going to produce 3% growth before rebounding with the smartphone market next year. So we think the valuation is a little heady. Uh, there are also some risks as well for, for ARM. So uh, there's a competitive product called Risk 5. There's uh, ARM China is, is, is a little um, uh, shady. Um, and then um, they also have a lawsuit with Qualcomm as well. And so, look, ARM is a fantastic business. We're going to stay opportunistic and probably look to uh, look for our opportunities as they execute over the next uh, quarters. 14th of November is the next time they will talk to the market. Um, but you're absolutely right in the way you ask the question, because ARM is a long duration asset. And so you, know, you can imagine it's got great stable revenues, but in order to get to a, a decent valuation, you need to use a, a discount rate. And that discount rate looks like it's rising, i.e. pulling the valuation down. Well, thank you very much, Ben, for that extremely detailed commentary around ARM, um, a company probably very few people have heard of, and yet it has such a fundamental impact on our lives on a day-to-day -day basis. So, no, really appreciate your insights into that. And likewise, Richard, your insights into broader interest rate moves, which are, are clearly going to have a longer-term impact uh, on everyone, right down from uh, ourselves as individuals through to companies. Um, so thank you very much both for your participation and to all of you for listening at home. Now, did you enjoy our discussion on the podcast today? We would absolutely love to hear from our listeners. So please review the show now wherever you're listening and share it on your socials and tag us at Quilt Achieviet. Now, to make sure you don't miss a future episode, tap the subscribe button. We'll be back next week. And in the meantime, head over to our website, www.quiltachieviot.com, where you can read the accompanying market overview, as well as subscribe to our weekly comment newsletter. You can also stay up to date with our thoughts on market news, industry insights, and our upcoming events and webinars on our website or our social media pages. Finally, if you have any questions you'd like to ask one of our experts for our next podcast, then simply ask them via the weekly comments page on our website. We would love to hear your questions. 
that's it for today. So thank you again, Richard and Ben, for your time and to all of you for listening. We'll see you next time.